When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Not too long ago we covered the giants of Norse mythology, which for some can be quite confusing because they are essentially almost a sub-race within another race known as the Jotna. Luckily for us, giants in Greek mythology are exactly what their name would suggest, a group of giant humanoids who are often destructive in nature, which is something they share with their Norse counterparts, along with several not-so-friendly interactions with their traditional deities. So it would appear there may be a slight correlation between being giant in size and being a giant douchebag, at least in mythological stories. But even then, not all giants were bad, and the purpose of this video is to examine all aspects. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And believe me, there are some weird looking giants. We should probably first discuss the origin of giants and who the first giants actually were. It's not unreasonable to say that the first giant beings were either the primordial deities or the titans, but there is a difference between a giant being that is divine in nature and a giant being that is, well, just giant. This divinity often comes in the form of some kind of power or quality that distinguishes and sets them apart from ourselves. Now that doesn't mean giants can't be divine or possess some kind of special gift, it's just much harder to come by. With that explanation aside, the very first giants did of course come from the gods, the children of Uranus and Gaia, the sky and the earth. But the latter is what we should really focus on because Uranus and his giant children never had much of a relationship outside of disgust and disappointment. Gaia gave birth to several different sets of children, the original 12 Titans, the Cyclopes and the Hecatoncres. The Titans were about as close to human-looking deities as you could imagine, but the Cyclopes and Hecatoncres were certainly not, and these are arguably the first giants that we encounter. The Cyclopes were pretty much just one-eyed giants, and the Hecatoncres were giants with 50 heads and 100 hands, which is pretty much the direct translation to their name, 100 hands or the 100-handed ones. So what's the big deal here? Gaia gave birth to some titans and some weird looking giants, but she loved them all the same, right? Well, yes. But the issue here is with the father of the year, Uranus, who found the Hecatoncres so repulsive that when they were born, he shoved them back inside of the womb. The twice born is often a title given to Dionysus because he was taken out of his mother and then later born from Zeus's thigh but the Hecatoncres were the first to have the pleasure of being born twice. Fearing these monstrosities, Uranus locked both the Cyclopes and Hecatoncres away in Tartarus. When Uranus was later castrated and Cronus assumed his father's position, he also shared his father's disdain for his non-Titan siblings, and showed little to no interest in releasing them, leaving them exiled in Tartarus for many more years. So I guess the Father of the Year award is actually up for discussion. 
You have Uranus who despised his children so much that when they were born he forced them back inside of their mother and then sentenced them to a life of exile. You then of course have Cronus who was so scared that one day his children would overthrow him that he decided to eat them as soon as they were born. I'll leave you to decide who the winner is in the comments below. With the Titans now the ruling generation, the Cyclopes and Hecatoncres just festered away in Tartarus with no real hopes of being set free. That is until Zeus made them a proposition that they could not refuse. Side with the Olympians in their war with the Titans and he would set them free. And so they joined Zeus and his fellow Olympians in this battle known as the Titanomachy. When they eventually emerged victorious, Zeus honoured his word and gave them their freedom. The original three Cyclopes were skilled craftsmen and weaponsmiths, and they made a lot of the gods weaponry, armour and trinkets. There were other Cyclopes later on down the line, but these didn't come from Gaia, and they were far less friendly than the original three. There is a more detailed video on the channel devoted to just the Cyclops or the Cyclopes if that is something you'd be interested in. The Hecatonchery story is somewhat of a redemption arc. They were always seen as these enormous monsters who could barely function because each one had 50 screaming heads and 100 hands flailing around all over the place. They were basically giants made up of smaller organisms. Considering their early lives consisted of being shunned, neglected, imprisoned and despised by most of their family, it isn't a huge surprise that they became the deformed monstrosity their father always believed them to be. Regardless, they got their act together when given the opportunity. Perhaps Zeus giving them control of their own lives meant they were finally able to gain control of their own bodies and act in unison. Or maybe just the thought of using all 100 of those hands to throw giant boulders at their titan siblings who had treated them so poorly over the years was all the motivation they needed. When the Titanomachy was over they were given numerous rewards for the role that they played. From underwater palaces to a pick of Poseidon's daughters to marry, but most importantly they were no longer treated like monsters. In the end they chose to guard the gates of Tartarus because when squashing your siblings with giant boulders isn't enough, why not just become their prison guards to ensure that they never escape? You also have to appreciate the irony of the Titans being sentenced to a lifetime in the same prison they once condemned their siblings to, with those same siblings using all 100 of those hands to point and laugh and maybe even make some other gestures. So at this point in time, the Olympians have defeated the Titans and everything is nice and peaceful, right? No, of course not. Seeing her children dethroned, Gaia wanted to restore what she believed to be the natural balance, but in order to do so she would have to defeat her grandchildren who had already proven this would be no easy task. And so in the depths of Tartarus she gave birth to Typhon, an actual monster. Well, technically the father of monsters was the name given to him. Typhon's appearance can vary depending on the source, but a fairly common depiction is that of a giant with the torso of a man, enormous wings and serpents for arms and legs. Some say each hand and leg had 50 serpent heads and from his torso was another 100, with only one of these heads resembling a human. From his eyes and mouth came turrets of fire. This somewhat human appearance is why Typhon is considered a giant at times, although some of the earliest depictions instead show him as merely an enormous serpent. 
but he definitely still warrants a mention as one of the most influential giants in Greek story. He was born with only one real purpose, to dethrone and destroy the Olympians. You can argue that he was created out of revenge and anger, and that is why he takes such a monstrous form. Or perhaps a monster of his magnitude and dread is the only thing the Olympians would fear. Gaia's plan at first seemed to be working. The Olympians saw Typhon as he pillaged and set fire to their cities, and stood by idly. In fact, most of them were so scared that they transformed themselves into animals and fled south to Egypt. Only Zeus and a few stragglers remained. When Zeus took his first stand against the monster, he was defeated with relative ease, but Typhon refused to kill the god. Instead, he sliced out his tendons and sinews, leaving him unable to walk and humiliated. Eventually, the remaining gods retrieved these sinews and tendons, and with Zeus at full strength, he would face Typhon a second time, and this time he would be victorious. In some stories, he then cast Typhon into Tartarus with the rest of Gaia's children, and in others, he buried the giant under Mount Etna. Whenever the volcano rumbled, that was thought to be the sound of Typhon trying to escape. The entire story of Typhon may have just been a way to explain the destructive nature of volcanoes. At first glance, they obviously both cause destruction to anything in their path. Volcanic eruptions are essentially expelling heat from the Earth's core to stop it from overheating, and when that's all done, what you're left with is volcanic soil, which is extremely rich and fertile. Plants may have been destroyed, but new ones grow back in their place, and new life is formed. The entire purpose of Typhon was not to destroy everything we know, but merely to dethrone the Olympians, symbolising a fresh start or a new beginning. Somewhere in between his mission to destroy the Olympians, he found time to take a monster wife known as Echidna, and together they had a bunch of monster children, hence the name The Father of All Monsters. Now obviously this isn't a literal title, because there are other monsters that didn't come from Typhon, but he did father some of the most well-known monsters and creatures. Some of these children included the Hydra, the Chimera, the Sphinx, and even Cerberus. Regardless of whether you want to class Typhon as a giant, a titan, or a giant titan snake, he still played a large role in the mythos. And not just because he fathered so many monsters, but because his death symbolised the end of the Titanomachy, and the start of the Olympian rule. With the exception of Typhon, the Olympians seemed to have a pretty good relationship with the giants early on, so where did this overall hatred even stem from? This is where the Gigantomachy comes into play, the war between the giants and the gods the biggest mythological event involving giants within Greek mythology. Despite this, there are very few accounts of this event from poets we often look to, such as Hesiod or Homer. Instead, most of what we see early comes from ancient paintings, sculptures, and pottery. We don't really get any written accounts until poets and historians such as Xenophanes, Apollonius of Rhodes, and Pindarus start to provide some details, with the latter giving us the first accounts of the battle itself. Pindarus believed that the prophet Tiresias foretold of a battle where Heracles would slay many giants, where the king of giants himself, Porphyrion, is killed by an arrow from Apollo. In this battle, we also see Zeus striking a giant with a thunderbolt, Dionysus stabbing one with his ivy staff, and Athena fending off a giant wielding her gorgon-encrusted shield. We don't know for sure why the battle started, because none of the early sources really explain this aspect. 
We only know that Pindarus believed it took place on a peninsula somewhere in Macedonia. Several reasons for this battle began to later surface sometime after the 2nd century AD, and these reasons range from the giant Alcinous stealing Apollo's cattle, to the giant Eurymedon raping Hera, and even Gaia just wanting more revenge for her children being imprisoned in Tartarus. With it being Greek mythology, all of these reasons make sense, but I personally like to think of it as Gaia continuing her revenge after Typhon was unsuccessful. Although Hesiod never discusses the battle itself, he describes giants in a similar manner to Athena, in terms of them being born ready for battle. Granted, Athena wielding a sword and shield when she was born doesn't paint the same image as giants throwing burning oak trees and boulders when they were born. One is obviously more destructive than the other. The idea of giants being this destructive force the second they're born is why I prefer Gaia's revenge as the explanation for this entire war. We've already seen her attempt to dethrone the Olympians once before, so giants being born this way is quite literally a reflection of their mother's rage. It also explains some of the bad blood between the two if giants share their mother's fury. In Ovid's interpretation, this battle took place in the heavens as the giants stormed Olympus. They were then struck down by Zeus's thunderbolts, and from their blood Gaia created a new race of giants, who like their fathers would also hate the gods. There's also a pretty early version of this story that discusses a prophecy that states the gods could not kill the giants alone, they would need the help of a mortal, and this is where the involvement of Heracles began. Before he was summoned, Gaia began searching for a rare plant that would protect the giants against the gods. But when Zeus got word of this, he stopped the sun from rising and harvested all of the plant before it could be used against them. Heracles was then summoned, and one of the giants he killed was Alcinous. Well, he actually killed him several times, but every time he did, he just got back up. Alcinous couldn't die whilst in his native land, so it's likely the battle didn't take place on Olympus in this particular interpretation. Athena suggested killing the giant and then dragging him outside of the borders of his city, and when Heracles did this, the giant died to his previous wounds. The war itself always seems to end in the same way, with the giants being killed and Gaia ending her quest for revenge, but that isn't to say she forgave her grandchildren, I guess she just accepted that they were the rulers. The constant battle between god and giant can also be equated to the constant fight against nature, so we did mention a few of the giants who were slain, and I guess we can list some off in a tad more detail. Porphyrion was a giant born from Gaia and the blood of Uranus when he was castrated. Giants born in this way who took part in the War of the Gods were collectively known as the Gigantes. The earliest accounts regarded Porphyrion as the greatest of giants, the closest thing they had to a king, according to Pindarus. During the battle, he attacked both Hera and Heracles. Zeus, being a bit weird, made it so the giant fell in love with his wife, and when he tried to rape Hera, he was struck by a thunderbolt from Zeus and an arrow from Heracles. According to Pindarus, this arrow may have come from Apollo instead. Alcinous, as we mentioned, was the giant who could not be killed whilst in the boundaries of his city, and so Heracles had to physically drag him over the border for him to succumb to his wound. This story for the most part doesn't have much variation, other than the fact that some people believe Heracles killing the giant had nothing to do with the Gigantomachy. Both events took place at different times. The giant Clytius was burnt to death by Hecate's torches. Another giant by the name of Mimas was also burnt to death, but this time by Zeus and Hephaestus. 
Pallas was the giant with impenetrable skin who Athena killed and then flayed, using his skin as a cloak and a cover for her shield. Agrius was a giant who had the displeasure of being beat to death by the Morai and their bronze clubs. Eurytus was the giant that we mentioned earlier that Dionysus stabbed with his ivy staff. According to Homer, the king of giants was actually Eurymedon, and this also happens to be the giant who raped Hera and started the war to begin with. There are several giants who are just mentioned by name, and it's alluded to that many other unnamed giants died during this conflict. I guess the simplest way to explain the Gigantomachy is that Mother Gaia told the giants the Olympians were evil and they must be stopped. The giants then stormed Olympus or wherever this battle took place, and they were like, hey, mum said you guys are being dick, so we have to kill you now. And then they realised they bit off more than they could chew, and the Olympians killed them all. Big shout out to the real MVPs of this battle, the Marai, who despite being three elderly women, still managed to dust off their clubs and beat the crap out of some giants with them. Even after the war, there were still numerous accounts and stories that feature giants, and as I'm sure many of you have guessed, they normally end with a giant slain of some kind. The Allodai were the giant sons of Poseidon, or as I like to refer to them, the Dumb and Dumber of Greek mythology. One day they decided to storm Olympus, and to do this they stacked three mountains on top of each other in order to reach the top. When they eventually got there, they were met by Ares, whom they managed to overpower and imprison in a giant bronze urn for just over a year. When the gods finally realised he was missing, they sent Artemis to retrieve him. The giants made some demands about wanting Artemis as a bride in exchange for Ares as the two were keen hunters, but Artemis had other ideas. She transformed herself into a deer and darted in between the two giants, who drew their spears and lunged away. The only thing they managed to impale, however, was each other, and they died shortly after this act of friendly fire. Because when you're tired of slaying giants, just leave them alone and they'll probably kill each other anyway. I did promise some weird giants at the start of the video, and there are quite a few. Geryon was a giant that consisted of three bodies joined together with four pairs of wings. Not sure how that makes any sense or what that even looks like, to be honest. He lived on a secluded island that was surrounded by the river Oceanus. Geryon was most famed for his prized red cattle. When Heracles arrived on the island with the intention of taking the cattle back, he ended up killing the herdsman Eurytion, the two-headed dog Orthrus, and then Geryon himself, so I guess that red cattle was kind of symbolic of the bloodshed. Talos of Crete was known as the very last bronze man, in some accounts he was part of a race of bronze giants, and in others he was a giant automaton built by Hephaestus. He would patrol the shores three times a day, hurling rocks at pirates and invaders. He would eventually be killed when he tried to stop Jason and the Argonauts landing on the island by the witch Medea, who promised to make him immortal, but instead she drove him into madness. Another giant mentioned quite often is Argus Penipetus, the 100-eyed giant, who, as his name may suggest, had 100 eyes located all over his body. Argus appears in one of Zeus's many affairs, this time with the nymph known as Io. When Hera caught the two together, Zeus transformed Io into a cow to try and hide the affair, I guess. Hera didn't fall for this trick, and she demanded he gave her the cow as a gift. She then appointed Argus to guard this cow, so Zeus couldn't transform her back and continue the affair without her knowing. Now this is Zeus, of course. A hundred-eyed giant is never going to stop him having an affair. 
and so he enlisted the help of Hermes, who lulled the giant to sleep with some music and then pulled out his sword and stabbed him to death. Oddly enough, this story was then used to explain a peacock and its feathers. Because of his service, Hera took Argus's eyes and placed them on the tail of a peacock, which was her sacred bird. Some other giants worth an honourable mention are the two brothers Agrius and Aureus, the giants who were half man, half bear. Because of their cannibalism, the gods transformed them into an owl and a vulture. Aristeus was one of the few giants who fled the battle with the gods, and as a result, they transformed him into a dung beetle, because I guess he pooped himself during the battle. Chrysor was known as the Golden Giant and the son of Medusa and Poseidon. And lastly, Orion was a giant closely linked to Artemis as either a lover or companion. To summarise, the giants of Greek mythology at first glance are a bunch of angry, destructive antagonists in most stories. There are some, albeit very few, who have a positive or even neutral presence. Once we dig a bit deeper, you can see that this rage and need for revenge stems from their mother Gaia, so how much of this can be blamed on the giants, I guess we'll never really know. From a symbolic standpoint, if the Olympians represent change in some form of unnatural advancement, then the giants are nature itself, the adverse reaction to change and progress. It's a conflict that symbolises the ever-present battle between the comfort of where we stand now and what is deemed moral and acceptable in order for us to progress. Regardless of how hard we try to hold on to what seems familiar to us, progress and change is always the inevitable outcome. Or maybe you just look at giants as nothing more than a bunch of big dumb dumb cavemen who throw rocks and trees at people and who end up being burnt, stabbed, squashed, zapped and transformed into something entirely different. Both are fine with me. As always, I've been your host, Mythology and Fiction Explained.